Alright, so time for our second extremely dense chapter about carbohydrate metabolism. The citric acid cycle, also called the Krebs cycle or the tricarboxylic acid cycle, occurs in the mitochondria and the main function is the oxidation of acetyl-CoA to CO2 and H2O. In addition, the cycle produces the high-energy electron-carrying molecules NADH and FADH2. Acetyl-CoA can be obtained from the metabolism of carbohydrates, fatty acids, and amino acids, making it a key molecule in the crossroads of many metabolic pathways in a highly testable compound. So, after glucose undergoes glycolysis, its product pyruvate will enter the mitochondrion via active transport and is oxidized and decarboxylated. These reactions are catalyzed by a multi-enzyme complex called the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, complex, which is located in the mitochondrial matrix. As we take a deeper look at the enzymes that make up this complex, as well as the substances, uh, of their reactions, it's helpful to follow the carbons in the molecules, so we should do that. Reaction is exergonic, and the complex is inhibited by accumulation of acetyl-CoA and NADH that can occur if the electron transport chain is not properly functioning or is inhibited. So coenzyme A is written as CoA-SH. This is because CoA is a thiol containing an SH group. When acetyl-CoA forms, it does so via covalent attachment of the acetyl group to the SH group, resulting in the formation of a thioester, which contains sulfur instead of the typical oxygen ester OR. The formation of a thioester rather than a typical ester is worth noting because of the high energy properties of thioesters. When a thioester undergoes a reaction like hydrolysis, a significant amount of energy will be released, and this can be enough to drive other reactions forward like the citric acid cycle. The pyruvate dehydrogenase complex enzymes needed to catalyze acetyl-CoA formation are listed in sequential order. So pyruvate dehydrogenase, pyruvate is oxidized yielding CO2, while the remaining two carbon molecule binds covalently to thiamine pyrophosphate. TPP is a coenzyme held by non-covalent interactions to PDH, and Mg2 plus is also required. Dihydrolipoyl transacetylase is the two carbon molecule bonded to TPP, it's oxidized and transferred to lipoic acid, which is a coenzyme that is covalently bonded to the enzyme. Lipoic acid disulfide group acts as an oxidizing agent creating the acetyl group. And the acetyl group is now bonded to lipoic acid via thioester linkage. And after this, dihydrolipoyl transacetylase catalyzes the CoA-SH interaction with the newly formed thioester link, causing transfer of an acetyl group to form acetyl-CoA. And lipoic acid is left in its reduced form. And then we have dihydrolipoyl dehydrogenase. So flavin adenine dinucleotide, which is FAD, is used as a coenzyme in order to reoxidize lipoic acid, allowing lipoic acid to facilitate acetyl-CoA formation in future reactions. As lipoic acid is reoxidized, FAD is reduced to FADH2, and in subsequent reactions, the FADH2 is reoxidized to FAD, while NAD plus is, is reduced to NADH. So glycolysis is heavily reviewed and heavily tested, uh, contributed to the production of acetyl-CoA. Other pathways are capable of forming acetyl-CoA. These pathways act on fatty acids, ketogenic amino acid, ketone bodies, and alcohol. And the ultimate production of acetyl-CoA allows all these pathways to culminate in the final common pathway of the citric acid cycle. So fatty acid oxidation or beta-oxidation in the cytosol, a process called activation, causes a thioester bond to form between the carboxyl groups of fatty acids and CoA-SH. Because this activated fatty acid, fatty acyl-CoA cannot cross the inner mitochondrial membrane, the fatty acyl group is transferred to carnitine via a transesterification reaction. Carnitine is a molecule that can cross the inner membrane with the fatty acyl group in tow. Once acyl carnitine crosses the inner membrane, it transfers the fatty acyl group to a mitochondrial CoA-SH via another transesterification reaction. So carnitine's function is merely to carry the acyl group from a cytosolic CoA-SH to a mitochondrial CoA-SH. Once acyl CoA is formed in the matrix, beta oxidation can occur, which removes two carbon fragments from the carboxyl end. 
amino acid catabolism. So certain amino acids can be used to form acetyl-CoA. They must lose their amino group via transamination, and their carbon skeletons can then form ketone bodies. These are termed ketogenic, and the conversion of ketone bodies to acetyl-CoA is mentioned below. So ketones, although acetyl-CoA is typically used to produce ketones when the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex is inhibited, the reverse reaction can occur as well. And when alcohol is consumed in moderate amounts, the enzymes alcohol dehydrogenase and acetaldehyde dehydrogenase convert it to acetyl-CoA. However, this reaction is accompanied by NADH buildup, which inhibits the Krebs cycle. So therefore, the acetyl-CoA formed through this process is used primarily to synthesize fatty acids. So then we have the reactions of the citric acid cycle. It takes place in the mitochondrial matrix and begins with the coupling of a molecule of acetyl-CoA to a molecule of oxaloacetate. While parts of this molecule are oxidized to CO2 and both energy GTP and energy carriers, NADH and FADH2, are produced, the other substrates and products are reused over and over again. Oxygen is not directly required in this cycle, but the pathway will not occur anaerobically, so because NADH and FADH2 will accumulate if oxygen is not available for the electron transport chain, and it will inhibit the cycle. So here are the key reactions. So step one, citrate formation. First, acetyl-CoA and oxaloacetate undergo a condensation reaction from citral-CoA and intermediate. Then the hydrolysis of citral-CoA yields citrate and CoA-SH. This reaction is catalyzed by citrate synthase. As discussed um, before, synthases are enzymes that form nucleovalent bonds without needing significant energy. And this second part of the step energetically favors the formation of citrate and helps the cycle uh, revolve in the forward direction. In step two, citrate isomerase to isocitrate. A chiral citrate is isomerized to one of the four possible isomers of isocitrate. So first, citrate binds at the three points to the enzyme uh, aconitase. Then water is lost from citrate, yielding its cis aconitate. And then water is added back to form isocitrate, and the enzyme is a metalloprotein that requires iron, Fe2+. Uh, this results in a switching of hydrogen and a hydroxyl group. So overall, this step is necessary to facilitate the subsequent oxidative decarboxylation. And then step three, alpha-ketoglutarate and CO2 formation. So isocitrate is first oxidized to oxalosuccinate by isocitrate dehydrogenase. Then oxalosuccinate is decarboxylated to produce alpha-ketoglutarate and CO2. This is important because isocitrate dehydrogenase is the rate-limiting enzyme of the citric acid cycle. And the first of the two carbons in the cycle is lost here. And this is also the first NADH produced from intermediates in the cycle. In step four, succinyl-CoA and CO2 formation. So these reactions are carried out by the alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex, which is similar in mechanism cofactors and coenzymes to the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex. In the formation of succinyl-CoA, alpha-ketoglutarate and CoA come together and produce a molecule of CO2. And this represents the second and last carbon loss from the cycle. So reducing NAD plus produces another NADH here. Step five is succinate formation. So hydrolysis of the thioester bond on succinyl-CoA yields succinate and CoASH, and it's coupled to the phosphorylation of GDP to GTP. This reaction is catalyzed by succinyl-CoA synthetase. Synthetases, unlike synthases, create nucleovalent bonds with energy input. So they're unique in that uh, thioester bonds hydrolysis is accompanied by a significant release of energy. So phosphorylation of GDP to GTP is driven by the energy released by thioester hydrolysis. Once GTP is formed, an enzyme called nucleoside Diphosphate kinase catalyzes phosphate transfer from GTP to ADP, producing ATP, and this is the only time in the citric in, in the entire citric acid cycle that ATP is produced directly, and it only occurs predominantly within the electron transport chain. Uh, and then step six is fumarate formation. This is the only step of the citric acid cycle that doesn't take place in the mitochondrial matrix, so it occurs on the inner membrane. Uh, succinate undergoes oxidation to yield fumarate. This reaction is catalyzed by succinate dehydrogenase. Succinate dehydrogenase is considered a flavoprotein because it's covalently bonded to FAD, the electron acceptor in this reaction. 
This enzyme is an integral protein on the inner mitochondrial membrane as, as succinate is oxidized to fumarate. FAD is reduced to FADH2. Each molecule of FADH2 then passes the electrons it carries to the electron transport chain, which eventually leads to the production of 1.5 ATP. And unlike NADH, which will give rise to 2.5 ATP. FAD is the electron acceptor in this reaction because the reducing power of succinate is not great enough to reduce NAD+. Step 7 is malate formation. So the enzyme fumarase catalyzes the hydrolysis of the alkene bond in fumarate, giving rise to malate. And although two enantiomeric forms are possible, only L-malate forms in this reaction. And finally, step 8, oxaloacetate is formed anew. So the enzyme malate dehydrogenase catalyzes the oxidation of malate to oxaloacetate. A third and final molecule of NAD plus is reduced to NADH, and the newly formed oxaloacetate is ready to take part in another part of the citric acid cycle. And we've gained all the high-energy electron carriers possible from one turn of the cycle. The last steps from succinate to oxaloacetate will happen. So what are our net results and ATP yields? So each NADH can be converted to approximately 2.5 ATP, while each FADH2 molecule can yield about 1.5 ATP. Uh, starting with the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, the products of this reaction include 1-acetyl-CoA and 1-NADH. In the citric acid cycle, steps 3, 4, and 8 each produce 1-NADH, while step 6 forms 1-FADH2. Uh, and step 5 yields 1 GTP, which can be converted to ATP. Two carbons leave the cycle in the form of CO2. And so from the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, the reaction is pyruvate plus CoA, SH plus NAD plus yields acetyl-CoA plus NADH plus CO2 plus H plus. In the citric acid cycle, acetyl-CoA plus 3NAD plus plus FAD plus GDP plus PI plus 2H2O yields 2CO2 plus CoA SH plus 3NADH plus 3F plus 3H+, plus, plus FADH2, plus GTP. And for ATP production, we get uh, 10 ATP from 4 NADH, 1.5 ATP from 1 FADH2, 1 ATP from 1 GTP, and the total is 25 ATP per glucose. Glycolysis yields 2 ATP and 2 NADH, providing another 7 molecules of ATP, so the net yield for 1 glucose molecule from glycolysis uh, through oxidative phosphorylation is... 30 to 32 ATP, and the efficiency varies from cell to cell. Uh, let's see. Because energy and energy carriers are products of this process, it makes sense that these molecules would have a negative feedback effort on the effect on the citric acid cycle. So there's regulation. And then, okay, so the pyruvic dehydrogenase complex regulation, so even upstream from its actual starting point, the citric acid cycle can be regulated. The mechanism by which this can happen is phosphorylation of PDH, which is facilitated by the enzyme pyruvate dehydrogenase kinase. Whenever levels of ATP rise, phosphorylating PDH inhibits acetyl-CoA production, and conversely, the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex is reactivated by the enzyme pyruvate dehydrogenase phosphatase in response to high levels of ADP. By removing a phosphate from PDH, pyruvate dehydrogenase phosphatase is able to reactivate acetyl-CoA production, and then acetyl-CoA has a negative effect, uh, negative feedback on its own production, so when you use alternative fuel like fats, acetyl-CoA production is sufficient to make it redundant to continue producing uh, acetyl-CoA from carbohydrate metabolism, so that's part of why eating like a high-fat meal fills you up so quick. And then ATP and NADH um, also inhibit PDH because they're markers of the cell being satisfied energetically. So some control points of the citric acid cycle, there's three essential checkpoints. 
citrate, citrate synthase, so ATP and NADH function as allosteric inhibitors of citrate synthase, which makes sense because both are products uh, indirect and directly of the enzyme. Citrate also allosterically inhibits citrate synthase, uh, as does succinyl-CoA. Isocitrate dehydrogenase, so as we discussed in the beginning of this section, the enzyme that catalyzes the citric acid cycle is likely to be inhibited by energy products, ATP and NADH, so conversely, NADP and NAD+, function as allosteric activators for the enzyme and enhance its affinity for substrates. And finally, the alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex. The reaction products of succinyl-CoA and NADH function as inhibitors of this enzyme complex. ATP is also inhibitory and slows the rate of the cycle when the cell has high levels of ATP. And the complex is stimulated by ADP and calcium ions. So, now we'll talk about the electron transport chain. It's the final common pathway that utilizes the harvested electrons from different fuels in the body. Uh, aerobic metabolism is the most efficient way of generating energy in living systems. Uh, and the mitochondria is the reason why. So in eukaryotes, the aerobic components of respiration are executed in mitochondria, while anaerobic processes such as glycolysis and fermentation occur in the cytosol. So the citric acid cycle takes place in the mitochondrial matrix, uh, and the assemblies needed to complete oxidative phosphorylation are housed adjacent to the matrix in the inner membrane of the mitochondria. The inner mitochondrial membrane is assembled into folds called cristae, which maximize surface area. It is, in, it is the inner mitochondrial membrane uh, that will be essential for generating ATP using the proton motive force, which is an electrochemical proton gradient generated by the complexes of the electron transport chain. The final step in aerobic respiration is actually two steps, so electron transport along the inner mitochondrial membrane and the generation of ATP via ADP phosphorylation. Uh, they're very much coupled processes. So the electron-rich molecules NADH and FADH2 are formed as byproducts from earlier steps in respiration, and they transfer their electrons to carrier proteins located along the inner mitochondrial membrane. And these electrons give rise, are given to oxygen in the form of hydride ions, and water is formed. And while this is happening, energy released from transporting electrons facilitates proton transport at three specific locations in the chain. Protons are moved from the mitochondrial matrix into the intermembrane space of the mitochondria, thereby creating a greater concentration gradient of hydrogen ions that can be used to drive ATP production. The formation of ATP is endergonic, and electron transport is uh, an exergonic pathway, so by coupling these reactions, the energy yielded by one reaction can fuel the other. And in order for energy to be harnessed via electron transport reactions, the proteins along the intermembrane must transfer the electrons donated by NADH and FADH2 in a specific order and direction. The physical property that determines the direction of electron flow is reduction potential, so if you pair two molecules with different reduction potentials, the molecule with the higher potential will be reduced while the other will become oxidized. And so the electron transport chain is basically nothing more than a series of oxidation and reductions that occur via the same mechanism. NADH is a good electron donor, and the high reduction potential of oxygen makes it a great final acceptor in the electron transport chain. Okay, so here we go. Oh my gosh. So complex one is NADH-CoQ oxidoreductase. The transfer of electrons from NADH to coenzyme Q is catalyzed in this first complex. This complex has over 20 subunits, but the two highlighted here include a protein that has an iron-sulfur cluster and a flavoprotein that oxidizes NADH. The flavoprotein has a coenzyme called flavomononucleotide covalently bonded to it. FMN is quite similar in structure to FAD. Uh, the first step in the reaction involves NADH transferring its electrons over to FMN, thereby becoming oxidized uh, to NAD+, as FMN is reduced to FMNH2. Next, the flavoprotein becomes reoxidized while the iron-sulfur subunit is reduced. 
And finally, the reduced iron sulfur subunit donates the electrons it received from the FMNH2 to coenzyme Q, also called ubiquinone. ubiquinone. Coenzyme Q becomes CoQH2, and this first complex is one of three sites where proton pumping occurs as four protons are moved to the intermembrane space. The net effect is passing high-energy electrons from NADH to CoQ to form CoQH2. Complex 2 is the succinate coenzyme Q oxidoreductase, so it transfers electron, electrons to coenzyme Q. Again, uh, complex 2 receives N electrons from succinate instead of NADH, uh, so it's a citric acid cycle intermediate, and it's oxidized to fumarate upon interacting with FAD. FAD is covalently bonded to complex 2, and once succinate is oxidized, it's converted to FADH2. After this, FADH2 gets reoxidized to FAD as it produces an iron sulfur protein. The final step reoxidizes the iron sulfur protein as coenzyme Q is reduced. Because succinate dehydrogenase was responsible for oxidizing succinate to fumarate in the citric acid cycle, it makes sense that succinate dehydrogenase is also a part of complex 2, and it should be noted that no hydrogen pumping occurs here. The net effect is passing high-energy electrons from succinate to coenzyme Q to form CoQH2. And then complex 3 is called cytochrome C oxidoreductase, or CoQH2 cytochrome C oxidoreductase. Uh, it's also called cytochrome reductase. This facilitates the transfer of electrons from coenzyme Q to cytochrome C in a few steps. It's drawn as two separate complexes in the figures, but um, the steps actually occur within the same complex using the same coenzyme Q. Uh, the following steps involve the oxidation and reduction of cytochrome, so proteins with heme groups in which iron is reduced to Fe2 plus and reoxidized to Fe3 plus. And the transfer of electrons from iron, only one electron is transferred per reaction because, because coenzyme Q has two electrons to transfer, two cytochrome C molecules will be needed. Complexes, <coughs> excuse me, complex three's main contribution to the proton motive force is via the Q cycle, where two electrons are shuttled from a molecule of ubiquinone, or CoQH2, near the intermembrane space, to a molecule of ubiquinone, or CoQ, near the mitochondrial matrix. Another two electrons are attached to hemoides, reducing two molecules of cytochrome C. A carrier containing iron and sulfur assists this process, and in shuttling these electrons, four protons are also displaced to the intermembrane space, so the Q cycle continues to increase the gradient of the proton motive force across the inner mitochondrial membrane. And then with complex 4, cytochrome C oxidase, this facilitates the culminating step of the electron transport chain, so transfer of electrons from cytochrome C to oxygen, the final electron acceptor. This includes subunits of cytochrome A, cytochrome A3, and Cu2 plus ions, so together cytochromes A and A3 make up cytochrome oxidase. Through a series of redox reactions, cytochrome oxidase gets oxidized as oxygen, becomes reduced, and forms water. This is the final location of the transport chain where proton pumping occurs as two protons are moved across the membrane. The role of proton pumping plays in ATP synthesis will be described in detail next. Okay, so proton motive force. So, as hydrogen ion concentration increases in the intermembrane space, two things happen simultaneously. pH drops in the intermembrane space, and the voltage difference between the intermembrane space and matrix increases due to proton pumping. So these two changes will contribute to what is referred to as the electrochemical gradient, which is a gradient that has both chemical and electrostatic properties. Um, and because it's based on protons, we refer to it as the proton motive force. And it will be the responsibility of ATP synthase to harness the energy to form ATP from ADP and an inorganic phosphate. So... Uh, shuttle mechanisms transfer the high-energy electrons of NADH to a carrier that can cross the international I'm sorry a shuttle mechanism transfers the high-energy electrons of NADH to a carrier that can cross the intermitochondrial membrane and depending on which of the two shuttle mechanisms NADH participates in either 1.5 or 2.5 ATP, ATP will be produced so here are the two mechanisms so there's the glycerol 3-phosphate shuttle which is the 
So the cytosol contains one isoform glycerol 3-phosphate dehydrogenase, which oxidizes cytosolic NADH plus NAD to NAD+, while forming glycerol 3-phosphate from the hydroxyacetone phosphate. On the outer face of the inner mitochondrial membrane, there exists another isoform of glycerol 3-phosphate dehydrogenase that is FAD-dependent. The mitochondrial FAD is the oxidizing agent, and it ends up being reduced to FADH2. Once reduced, FADH2 proceeds to transfer its electrons to take the ETC via complex 2, thus generating 1.5 ATP for every molecule of cytosolic NADH that participates in this pathway, which is shown in um, this figure that you can't see. Malleaspartate shuttle, so cytosolic oxaloacetate, which cannot pass through the inner mitochondrial membrane, is reduced to malate, which can. This is accomplished by cytosolic malate dehydrogenase, so accompanying this reduction is the oxidation uh, of cytosolic NADH to NAD+. Once malate crosses uh, once malate crosses into the matrix, mitochondrial malate dehydrogenase reverses the reaction to form its electrons. Reverses the reaction to form mitochondrial NADH. Now that NADH is in the matrix, it can pass along its electrons to the ETC via complex 1 and generate 2.5 ATP per molecule of NADH. Recycling the malate requires oxidation to oxaloacetate, which can be transaminated to form aspartate. Aspartate crosses into the cytosol and can be reconverted to oxaloacetate to restart the cycle. Okay, so now uh, oxidative phosphorylation. So the proton motive force interacts with the portion of ATP synthase that spans the membrane, which is called the F0 portion. F0 functions as an ion channel, so protons travel through F0 along their gradient back into the matrix. As this happens, a process called chemiosmotic coupling allows the chemical energy of the gradient to be harnessed as a means of phosphorylating ADP, forming ATP. So the ETC generates a high concentration of protons in the inner membrane space. The protons then flow through the F0 ion channel of ATP synthase back into the matrix. As this happens, the other portions of ATP synthase, which is called the F1 portion, utilizes the energy released from this electrochemical gradient to phosphorylate ADP to ATP. And the specific mechanism by which ADP is actually phosphorylated is still a matter of debate. Chemiosmotic coupling describes a direct relationship between the proton gradient and ATP synthesis. It's the predominant mechanism accepted in the scientific community when describing oxidative phosphorylation. However, there's also conformational coupling, which suggests that the relationship between the proton gradient and ATP synthesis is indirect. Instead, ATP is released by the synthase as a result of conformational change caused by the gradient. And in this mechanism, the F1 portion of ATP synthase is reminiscent of a turbine spinning within a stationary compartment to facilitate the harnessing of gradient energy for chemical bonding. So. The free energy change of the reaction uh, is negative 220 kilo per, per mole. It's highly exergonic, uh, and the energy harnessed from one reaction can drive another. And again, there is more regulation. So the rates of oxidative phosphorylation and the citric acid cycle are closely coordinated. O2 and ADP are the key regulators of oxidative phosphorylation. So if O2 is limited, the rate of oxidative phosphorylation decreases, and the concentrations of NADH and FADH2 increase. Accumulation of NADH inhibits the citric acid cycle, so the coordinated regulation of these pathways is known as respiratory control. In the presence of adequate O2, the rate of oxidative phosphorylation is dependent on the availability of ADP. The concentrations of ADP and ATP are reciprocally related, and accumulation of ADP is accompanied by a decrease in ATP and the amount of energy available to the cell. So ADP accu accumulation signals the need for ATP synthesis. ADP allosterically activates isocitrate dehydrogenase, which is increasing the rate of the citric acid cycle and the production of NADH and FADH2. And the elevated levels of these reduced coenzymes would increase the rate of electron transport and ATP synthesis. Okay, so now time for concept summary. Uh, 
Acetyl-CoA contains a high-energy thioester bond that can be used to drive other reactions when hydrolysis occurs. It can be formed from pyruvate via pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, which is a 5-enzyme complex in the mitochondrial matrix that forms, and it's also inhibited by acetyl-CoA and NADH. Pyruvate dehydrogenase oxidizes pyruvate, creating CO2. It requires thiamine pyrophosphates and Mg2+. Dihydrolipoyl transacetylase oxidizes the remaining two carbon molecules using lipo lipoic acid and transfers the resulting acetyl group to CoA, forming acetyl-CoA. Dihydrolipoyl dehydrogenase uses FAD uh, to reoxidize lipoic acid, forming FADH2. This FADH2 can later transfer electrons to NAD+, forming NADH that can feed into the electron transport chain. Pyruvate dehydrogenase kinase phosphorylates PDH when ATP or acetyl-CoA levels are high, turning it off. And pyruvate dehydrogenase phosphatase dephosphorylates PDH when ADP levels are high, turning it on. Acetyl-CoA can be formed from fatty acids, which enter the mitochondria using carriers. The fatty acid couples with CoA in the cytosol to form fatty acyl-CoA, which moves to the inner membrane space. The acyl fatty acid group is transferred to the carnitine to form acyl carnitine, which crosses the inner membrane, and the acyl group is transferred to a mitochondrial CoA to reform fatty, fatty acyl-CoA, which can undergo beta oxidation to form acetyl-CoA. And acetyl-CoA can be formed from the carbon skeletons of ketogenic amino acids, ketone bodies, and alcohol. So then the citric acid cycle takes place in the mitochondrial matrix. Its main purpose is to oxidize carbons and intermediates to CO2 and generate high-energy electron carriers, NADH and FADH2, and GTP. The key enzymes and reactions. So citrate synthase couples acetyl-CoA to oxaloacetate and then hydrolyzes the resulting product forming citrate and CoA-SH. This enzyme is regulated by negative feedback from ATP, NADH, succinyl, CoA, and citrate. Aconitase isomerizes citrate to isocitrate. Isocitrate dehydrogenase oxidizes and decarboxylates isocitrate to form alpha-ketoglutarate. This enzyme generates the first CO2 and the first NADH of the cycle. As the rate-limiting step for the citric acid cycle, it's heavily regulated ATP and NADH are inhibitors, and ADP and NAD plus are activators. Alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex acts similarly to PDH complex, metabolizing alpha-ketoglutarate to form succinyl-CoA. This enzyme generates the second CO2 and the second NADH of the cycle. It is inhibited by ATP, NADH, and succinyl-CoA, and it's activated by ADP and calcium. Succinyl-CoA synthetase hydrolyzes the thioester bond in succinyl-CoA to form succinate and CoA-SH. This enzyme generates the 1-GTP generated in the cycle. Succinate dehydrogenase oxidizes succinate to form fumarate. This flavoprotein is anchored to the inner mitochondrial membrane because it requires FAD, which is reduced to form the 1-FADH generated in the cycle. Fumarase hydrolyzes the alkene bond of fumarate, forming malate and malate dehydrogenase oxidizes malate to oxaloacetate, and this enzyme generates the third and final NADH of the cycle. The electron transport chain takes place on the matrix-facing surface of the inner mitochondrial membrane. NADH donates electrons to the chain, which are passed from one complex to the next, and as the ETC progresses, reduction potentials increase until oxygen, which has the highest reduction potential, and it receives the electrons. Complex 1 is NADH-CoQ oxidoreductase, uses an iron sulfur cluster to transfer electrons from NADH to flavin mononucleotide and then to coenzyme Q, forming CoQH2, and four protons are translocated by complex 1. Complex 2, no proton pumping occurs, and it uses an uh, it's succinate CoQ oxidoreductase, and it uses an iron sulfur cluster to transfer electrons from succinate to FAD and then to CoQ, forming CoQH2. Complex 3 is CoQH2 cytochrome C oxidoreductase. It uses an iron sulfur cluster to transfer electrons from CoQH2 to heme, forming cytochrome C as part of the Q cycle, and four protons are translocated by co complex 3. And complex 4 is cytochrome C oxidase, which uses cytochromes and copper 2 plus to transfer electrons in the form of hydride ions from cytochrome C to oxygen, forming water, and two protons are translocated by complex 4.
NADH can't cross the inner mitochondrial membrane, so one of two available shuttle mechanisms to transfer electrons in the mitochondrial matrix must be used. So in the glycerol 3-phosphate shuttle, electrons are transferred from NADH to dihydroxyacetone phosphate, forming glycerol 3-phosphate, and these electrons can then be transferred to mitochondrial FAD, forming FADH2. In the malate aspartate shuttle, the electrons are transferred from NADH to oxaloacetate, forming malate, and malate can then cross the inner mitochondrial membrane and transfer the electrons to the mitochondrial NAD+, forming NADH2. And finally, the proton motive force is the electrochemical radiant generated by the electron transport chain across the inner mitochondrial membrane. The inner membrane space has a higher concentration of protons in the matrix, and the gradient stores energy, which can be used to form ATP via chemiosmotic coupling. ATP synthase is the enzyme responsible for generating ATP from ADP and an inorganic phosphate. F0 is the iron ion channel, allowing protons to flow down the gradient from the inner membrane space to the matrix. And the F1 portion uses the energy released by the gradient to phosphorylate ADP into ATP. The following is a summary of the energy yield of various car carbohydrate metabolism processes. So glycolysis makes 2 NADH and 2 ATP. Pyruvate dehydrogenase generates 1 NADH per molecule of pyruvate. And because each glucose forms 2 molecules of pyruvate, this complex produces a net of 2 NADH. Citric acid cycle makes 3 NADH, 1 FADH2, and 1 GTP, so 6, 2, and 2 per molecule of glucose. Each NADH makes 2.5 ATP, so 10 NADH form 25 ATP. Each FADH yields 1.5 ATP, so 2 FADH form 3 ATP. And GTP are converted to ATP, so 2 ATP from glycolysis, 2 ATP from the citric acid cycle, or GTP, and 25 ATP from NADH, and 3 ATP from FADH equals 32 ATP per molecule of glucose, which is optimal, and inefficiencies and variability can make um a different range of energy yield we finished with that so the next thing is going to be lipid and amino acid metabolism super exciting thanks for listening bye